Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. Father, I pray today that you would prepare our hearts, kindle in us the flame of your spirit, remind us of our true state before you, that we are empty without you. We can't please you except for your work in us. We thank you that you are working in us, but we do welcome more of your work, more of your spirit. And I pray today for a baptism of the Holy Spirit for each person in this place. I pray for nothing less than a Pentecost. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just this week, I was reading a book. It does happen from time to time. Uh, I, I warn you, and um, it was this book. It's called Power Healing by a chap called John Wimber with Kevin Springer. Don't forget Kevin. And uh, I found it actually in the, in the library at the back of St. Andrew's uh, Church just up the road. And I stole it. It's not actually theft, because I will take it back at some stage. I loaned it, let me say that. Um, And uh, just been hugely encouraged by it. Now, within it, uh, John Wimber, who many of you will have heard of, tells uh, really a story, part of his story. Uh, The story particularly of how he moved from somebody who was very skeptical, uh, perhaps even cynical, but very close to the person and work of the Holy Spirit, to somebody who actually became, I suppose, famous and infamous, depending on your uh, perspective, for, for the person and work of the Holy Spirit, rejected in large parts of the church, um, but a real gift uh, to the church uh, because of his insistence that the Holy Spirit is alive and well and that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. But as I said, it wasn't always like that. Wimber himself was very resistant, and so was his wife, uh, Carol. But she had gone on her own journey where the Lord had begun to awaken her uh, to the possibility that he was able to do the kinds of things that he did in the Bible today. And, and Wimber speaks about his own path. And uh, I, I pick up the story. I'm going to read just a few uh, lines from the story. I pick up the story where he was really quite desolate personally. Very low, his health was at a very low ebb, and he was um, depressed, I suppose, although he doesn't use that word. He says this, on the airplane, he was on a ministry trip, I began crying out to God. It was a familiar prayer, only with a greater sense of urgency. Oh God, I prayed in my heart, what's the matter? What's wrong with me? I'm tired The doctors say I'm eating myself into the grave. My blood pressure's too high. My head throbs constantly. I'm worn out from lecturing long hours. I'm tired of talking to people. And I lack your purpose. My heart sank lower and lower. I sat there with my head against the window and said, God, here I am, feeling as though I'm going to die soon. I still have young children living at home, and I don't have time to know them. I've tried so hard to lose weight, vowing many times I'd control my eating. Many times I've tried to straighten myself out and there's been no change. I'm so sick of me. 
And I don't even like you right now. This is the first time I've prayed in a long time. And I don't think you're even listening to me. 10 out of 10 for honesty. And in the end, uh, because of a flight mix-up, he wasn't picked up from the airport. So he had to book himself into a hotel. And he said this, in the middle of the night, I woke up. God was speaking to my heart. He said, and this really is, is my message in a line, John... I've seen your ministry, and now I'm going to show you mine. I began weeping again. Oh, Lord, I said. (laughs) That's all I've ever wanted. I do not understand all that happened to me that evening, but it marked a turning point in my relationship with God. Somebody asked me this week, Where, when did God give you and Amy the vision for Trinity? And I had to explain to this person, Gary, actually, I don't know if Gary's here this morning. Most of my sermons are actually stolen from Gary. I just his name that, not most, actually some. You know, and I, I just, the answer to that question really is, is just so many years ago. And I really resonate with that story from Wimber. So I was reading it this week, just weeping, weeping, just saying, God, that's my desire. I want your ministry. I'm so tired. Mine, you know, this church, this is the best we can do. And it's not just the best we can do. God has been at work in the most extraordinary way. And some of you say, this is the best church you've been a part of. Well, praise God. That's not our doing. God has been doing wonderful things. We've seen lives changed. But the best that we can do is never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough for the, for the fulfillment of Don's vision and outpouring the Holy Spirit, for the fulfillment of Steve Richardson, for some of you, Steve the First's vision, who had a vision of punch being poured out and carried by people onto the streets. You know, that's the reason, by the way, that the coffee shop over the road is called Punch. God has been so kind but my longing is to see more of his ministry in, in this place. My longing is to see his ministry replacing our ministry. Certainly replacing mine because I'm tired of my ministry. And I don't know about you, but I'm willing to give up my ministry to have his. Are you? Even if it means reordering your life. Even if it means looking foolish. Even if it means failure. I think there comes a point in every Christian's life. After salvation, after kind of the sanctification work begins. And actually we begin to get a little bit better. Genuinely, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not denying or decrying that. But 
in the midst of that, we can begin to rely on our experience. <laughs> they say this about footballers who are aging, don't they? The first yard's in the mind. The legs don't carry them quite so quickly. The first yard is in the mind. We rely on the experience. And in a sense, we stop relying on the spirit in quite the same way. But the evidence that that doesn't work is we get tired. We get tired. You know, because we get more and more busy and active serving the Lord. But increasingly exhausted and often at times distant from the Lord. We need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Our longing, our vision as a church is to have in this place Jesus being the minister. Jesus being the one who's doing the work, the heavy lifting. Jesus being the one at work. And what we see in Acts chapter 2, and I will be very brief here, I have eight points. And as soon as you say that, people begin to, begin to weep inwardly. And rightly so. But here's what I want to say in this second section is this. This is what the ministry of the Holy Spirit looks like. And as you hear it, you, you should be, what I want it to provoke within you is a longing. I want you to listen to these eight points and long for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What we see when we look at Acts chapter 2 particularly, Acts 1 is all about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then we have uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And we read that when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. The first sign of the ministry, the first evidence, if you like, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is visible unity. Some say it's the reversal here of Babel, Genesis 11. We see the scattering We see speech becoming unintelligible. People can't understand speech. We see a reaching up to heaven, an independence, a spirit of independence from God. And here in what we see in Acts 2 is a spirit of dependence upon God. Dependence on God even for speech. But as the speech is given, we see people gathered together in one place. How many, of you, how many of you know, how many of you be in part of church and you say, when there is unity between churches and within Christians, that is a miracle? Because I think the default position for Christianity is complaining. The worship's too loud. The worship's too quiet. The coffee's too hot. The coffee's too cold. Church is too early. Church runs too late. Church is too short if you're from Africa. Church is too long if you're from the West. And so on and so forth. And no one will ever be satisfied. The porridge is too warm. The porridge is too cold. And everywhere pastors are looking for Goldilocks. Who will say, oh, it's just right. And if you find a pastor who has the spirit of Goldilocks, you found a miracle because no pastor, myself included, believes that. Oh, it's a miracle when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. That's why the psalmist says, it's like the precious oil poured out on the head, rolling down on the beard, down on the collar of the beard, on the robe of Aaron. It's there that the Lord commands the blessing life forevermore. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it comes in unity. 
unity of vision and purpose around Jesus and the things of Jesus. And you know, this is the truth for community, but you must understand this, this is a truth in an individual human life. When an individual human life has unity, in, when it is coherent, when it's aligned around Jesus, and the body and the mind and the spirit are all pointed in the direction of Jesus, there is tremendous power in that life. And the reason that your life and my life lack the power of the Holy Spirit is because of division within us. Our bodies and our minds and our souls are all saying something different. And therefore, we cannot carry the power of God. We need to be single-minded, single-purpose, and that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you want that? You do want that. You want it. The Spirit of God will give it. Secondly, we see renewed presence. You know, the story of the Bible, the Bible, by the way, is a story. It is not a textbook. It is not a repository of doctrine, though there is doctrine contained within it. It is a story in at least four or five acts, depending on how you define it. But it is a story which at the heart of it has God's presence. It's a story of the presence. A God who longs to be present, who creates the world, all of creation, an infinite universe to inhabit it. And that the scandal of the whole story is that God longs to be present and actually chooses a particular people to be present to them so that the whole world would be hungry for his presence. And at the heart of the people, there's a temple. And at the heart of the temple, there's a box, (laughs) an ark. And God says, I'm going to be present in that place. And at a point in Israel's history, that's the people's name, Ichabod, God withdraws his presence, but promises to be present. And he becomes present to them in flesh in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says, and Duncan read it, there's coming a day, just a few days' time, I'm going to be present in a new way through the Holy Spirit. And the glory which filled the box in the temple among the people in the world, that glory will live in you. That's the Holy Spirit. And it looks like wind and fire. Wind, Ezekiel 37. Fire, John's promise that one's coming after. He'll be baptize you with the Spirit and fire. It's all about presence. Do you want more of the presence? The presence of God. You know, the, the, the greatest need for the church in these days isn't to appeal to the whims and fancies of the world outside by diluting the message or shifting the doctrine or the ethical commands. The great need of the church is to carry the glory. The Shekinah, the presence, the glory of God, to be filled with the presence of God. That's the need of the church. The greatest failing of the church is the absence of the presence. Thirdly, filled to praise. I don't know what I wrote on my thing. We do have a a PowerPoint. I don't know if it's up there. But filled, we're filled to praise. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, what we find is that these languages are revealing the praises of God. 
with clarity, the Spirit comes to release praise. We have had moments in the life of this church where I have felt, if this lot carry on, the roof's coming off. It ebbs and it flows. I know not why. If I could bottle it, I would bottle it. And I'm a sinner, so I might sell it. I certainly would probably publicize it and call down judgment upon myself. So God hasn't allowed me to bottle it. God hasn't even allowed me to understand it. I feel, I feel that ebbs and it flows. At the moment, honestly, I feel it's ebbing. And I know everyone's on Instagram saying, oh, the Lord is moving in this new way. I don't, I, I, at the moment, I feel that it's ebbing among us, not flowing. I don't know why that is. I want it to flow. But when the Spirit comes, praise just flows. And praise is the reason you were born. And I was born. Fifthly, fourthly, dramatic salvation. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, and so on. And thousands come to faith. That's dramatic salvation. Needs no explanation. Do you want to see that? I want to see that. I want to see that. You know, there's a, there's a child. I'm just, I, at the moment, it's happening one by one. There is a child in our youth ministry who has not grown up in the faith, has never been to, had never been to church, until a ch- another child at school invited him to come to church. He could get no lift. He lives in Keyworth. Now, I live in Westbridge, but that's 3.1 miles. Keyworth is a lot further. This child could get no lift, and so he walked here. He encountered God. He gave his life to Jesus, and then he walked home. And he's kept walking here. Now we have arranged a lift. You'll be pleased to know. One by one by one, they're beginning to come. It's not just transfer growth, folks. The Spirit of God is moving. People are coming to faith. What about if it wasn't just one by one by one? Fifthly, compelling community. Verse 43 All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common and so on and so forth. Another sermon for another time. But this kind of community is truly compelling. It can only be given by the Holy Spirit. Sixthly, whatever we're up to, signs and wonders. Verse 43 again. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. Signs and wonders. Acts chapter 3. The, the, the man who's healed by the gate beautiful. Who presumably has been passed millions and millions of times. Power healing in the church. A recovery of the, the ministry of Jesus in and by the church. That's a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Seventhly. Something you never want to hear has said in any sermon. Seventhly. Expanded territory. 
Territory taken. God is taking territory. The territory he's taking is is in the city. God wants the church to inhabit the city. And I'm not just talking institutionally, though I do mean that. But do you know that wherever your feet step, you have the capacity to take territory for the kingdom. This is the promise given to Joshua. Wherever your feet step, you will inherit that place. And when the Spirit of God gives the church a perspective to understand their inheritance, they're unable to take territory for the kingdom. You know, we step often on the streets of our cities as if we're outsiders, forgetting that Psalm 24 reminds us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And if we are the Lord's, then it belongs to us. Do you know that you are the inheritor of all of creation? Paul says, do you know that you'll judge the angels? The streets belong to us, not to lord it over them, but to serve them in love, to carry the presence there. Expanded territory as the church rediscovers her mission to inhabit the city for the sake of the world. Eighthly, suffering. Had to put that in because it's in the book and most people don't preach about that. But it's happening and it will happen. As we take territory, there will be kickback. That is the sign that we are actually taking territory. If we're not, don't expect any spiritual battles. And you can go to heaven in comfort. Okay. My thesis is this, this Pentecost moment is not one once and done, but it is a repeatable experience for the church. Pentecost is not only for our inspiration, it is our inheritance. How many of you have heard of the Salvation Army? Well, that was a, something that was birthed in our fair city. Did you know that between 1881 and 1885, 250,000 people, a quarter of a million people came to faith in Jesus Christ because of the ministry of the Salvation Army? The intention was never to form uh, a a denomination. That's why the Salvation Army still to this day don't uh, take confirmation nor do they baptize people. It was to fill the churches with folks who had come into saving faith. My, uh, one of the most um, significant influences on my life was a chap called Don Williams, and he used to pray again and again and again over me, saying, Johnny, that that Britain needs an outpouring of the Spirit like we saw in the time of the Wesleys. Do it again, Lord. This sermon's called Do It Again. Do it again, Lord. And I believe he will. So I want to close with a few thoughts on how we can be made ready. The first thing I want to say, so these are postures for Pentecost. The first thing I want to tell you is that these postures do not bring Pentecost. Pentecost is promised. No amount of religious, pious activity brings Pentecost. We don't bring Pentecost by contending. Pentecost is Jesus' promise. It's God's gift to the church. 
Every generation needs its own Pentecost. So Pentecost is a promise. It's not something we create. But we can, I think, make ourselves ready. We can be active partners in Pentecost. So firstly, we can pray. Nothing I'm about to say will be A, a, a surprise or B, particularly insightful. But firstly, prayer. There is an atmosphere, a genuine atmosphere of prayer around everything that's happening in Acts 1 and 2 and all the way through the Acts, which are not the Acts of the Church, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit. What I want to say is that this is an environment of faith. And an environment of faith is always an environment of prayer. Notice here, I'm not talking actually about the practice of prayer. I'm also not talking about the the program of prayer. our, Our outflow here is not necessarily... To carve out more time any week for prayer. I I think that will be a very good thing to do for every one of us. I'm not saying we need to start a new prayer program in the church. I'm saying that a sign of health is when we develop a posture in prayer. So when there's a problem, when there's an opportunity, when there's anything in our lives, our first instinct is prayer. And if I can be really honest with you, my first instinct in life is activity. Planning. Picking up the phone, trying to persuade. Honestly, one of the things I rely on most in ministry is persuasion. That's a, that is a confession to you. I'm not, I'm, sorry, I'm not saying I'm proud of that. I'm saying that's what is. And that is not going to get it done when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit. When we have our prayer before, our plans, our persuasion, our programs, good though those things are, That's when we're ready for Pentecost. When we have a prayer culture, before we have a prayer meeting, we won't have to worry about the prayer meeting. Got to have a prayer culture. Is there a prayer culture in your life? I'm not having a go. Amnesty on having a go today. I'm taking a week off having a go. (laughs) I'm encouraging What an amazing thing to say. I have the opportunity in my lifetime to develop a culture of prayer in my life. It's never too late. The oldest among us to the youngest can have a culture of prayer. I actually think, I think we come out of the womb in a culture of prayer. Bono said, my first cry, it was a joyful noise. It's a spirit of dependence. Oh God, that you would restore a culture of prayer to the church. Secondly, secondly, because I want to get this done with. Secondly, repentance. What must we do to be safe? Peter says, repent and be baptized. Repentance is God's gift to the church. Where he says, didn't need him. He says, I'm going to give you the gift of reordering your lives. Reordering your lives to make room for me. I'm going to create within you a highway of holiness. So much so that what we like to call the big sins will be dealt with, but also the subtle attitudes of the heart, which are as damaging to the free reign of the Holy Spirit in our lives, perhaps more so than even the big sins. This is the legacy of the Holy Spirit. This is why whenever the Spirit is getting ready to move, there's a shift in the church around repentance. I believe that like no other time in my lifetime, God wants to create a highway of holiness. Not holier than thou people, but holy for God. 
set apart for God. God's gift to his church. Thirdly, waiting. So the promise is given. The response is waiting. Now the activists are about to get the pitchforks out and launch them at me. Give me a moment before you do so. Biblical waiting is never passive. Whenever God gives a promise, he demands waiting. He requires it. He demands it by not answering the promise. What he usually requires is for the person who inherits the promise to get to the end of themselves first. Now, if you are willful, which most of you are, because you're Western, I am probably more willful than you. If you are willful, it may take you many decades until you get to the end of your own resource. But when you do, oh, you've got some good stuff coming. Waiting is never passive. It's always active. But it never is about human ingenuity. It's never about human ideas. There is no amount of earthly resource that can create what God alone can give. God says to Sarah's womb, a child shall come forth. And at the point Sarah receives the promise, it's already an impossibility. Now Abraham tries to bring it about through his own ingenuity and ends up creating carnage for the rest of human history. But God never reneges on his promise. God has given a promise into the womb of the church. I will give Pentecost. What it means for the church today is that we actively wait. We wait with eager longing. We recognize our inability, but we wait with great expectation. We act, here's what waiting is it's acting on the basis that we are already filled and waiting for the more that God has. And it's as we go, And as we work in what he's already given, that he fills us with the more. So if you would be willing, if you are able, perhaps you would stand with me. And for the last 10 minutes, we are simply going to wait together on God.